So Look here's here's what I want you guys to do. Okay. We got a pen. I want you to write down what your three biggest fears are and then what you think my biggest three and what you think Kasim's biggest three is. So we're all going to do it for each other. Oh, shit, guys. You have such nice handwriting. I always forget when I um, this is I'm rushing. Um, well, he holds the pen like Winston look at, Churchill. Look at my fucking chicken scratch. Look how oh, terrible you did, my handwriting. You guys did all, everyone already? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jamie, I mean, come on. Yes. By the way, on par with my. I think I saw yours. I'm spot on. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Jamie, ladies first. Okay, so am I reading all of mine? Uh, let's start off with just yours, and okay. then we'll go. Okay. Yeah. Uh, number one, my kids getting hurt. Number two, Cutter getting hurt. Number three, a natural disaster. Oh wow! I only got one of those. Well, how did you do for Jamie's stuff? Jamie's, I said. Your kids drown. Oh. <laughs> So specific. specific. I almost drowned Bo last week. Bo and Jack both drown while you're um, high and un- and not paying attention. <laughs> Cutter falls oh, in shit. love with Maria Menounos. Oh, oh, oh so good. specific. Yeah, yeah, I feel like sh- I feel like she's somebody you would like be she's, very jealous of. Not <laughs> she's at everyone's all, but type. Okay. <laughs> she's she's just, a great gal. She's I... a dark skinned gal, and she's just a go getter. You know. <laughs> He is a go-getter. And then something happens to Rob. Rob dies in a fire is what I... Oh, my God! (laughs) Why wasn't that on... I wasn't on your top... Number one, I had something happens to Rob. (laughs) No. No, Well, obviously. I'm kidding. But, okay. Uh, For Jamie, I had something happening to your kids. Second fear, I had not being a good enough mom. Oh, that's a fear. And then your... The last one was, like, your... Like, your MS not getting better mm. so interesting you say that we'll talk about that after i thought well, about that about one it. i thought about it and, and i did I, go ahead i'll speak about your ms for you sure okay? please do what is well, it like Cass? i was gonna put it down but i felt like you've become you've come into such a place of mm-hmm. like acceptance with mm-hmm. it that mm-hmm. you don't really care and it and it doesn't really impact how you see the rest of your life mm-hmm. going mm-hmm. in a way career or family I mean it impacts you physically but, sure. but you know what I'm trying to yeah. say See, I thought more so for like your kids yeah you know I did I that always was a really big concern of mine and oh, just this weekend I literally said to Cutter I want I want the pressure taken off of me of getting better I just want that pressure taken off I want that expectation off I just want us to be like this is who Jamie is and this is what it is and then if it gets better great and if it doesn't then we're not disappointed yeah I just think I needed to really take that off the table so that's interesting you wrote that yeah let's let's go back in time and record this last week I need to be right I can't take this all right let's go to Robbie's yeah okay I thought we'd save the best for last but oh sorry no no no. I'm just okay. kidding mate go ahead you're just next on my list no you go first right Oh, is that how we're doing it? I don't know. We just made this up. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Dying in a plane crash. Okay. Number one. Uh, Something happening to someone in my family and something happening to one of my friends. Mm. One, two, and three. I wrote um, an earthquake. Uh, Like, just thought like national disaster (laughs) thinking. Germs and white sugar. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. What happens with white sugar? Just 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 it being around. It's just being around. (laughs) Yeah. It's true. Obviously, I wasn't taking that very seriously. I'm sorry. Uh, th- try and think of what do, could you think of one like if if you if you thought about serious, what would you? think? Yeah, definitely plane crash because I know that like planes really really concern you. And yes, I think anything happening in your family and just feeling I think that 
like no matter what you're you feel not responsible but like you you have you hold a lot of love and like value in in your friends and your family so i think anything happening to anyone would be devastating to you here we go here's uncle Cass with the with the with the news i just I, i'm on the same boat i just got a little more specific i i, I wrote for number 1 i wrote you you contract an unknown disease that's great. That's yeah. really good. Yeah. That yeah. Is like it's not even on you know the what? map yet. Forget Oof. forget my family. I'm putting the <laughs> No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Number two, sports gets canceled. Wide cancellation of all sports leaves you with absolutely nothing to do. You know what? Surprisingly, I kind of liked it when sports were canceled, even though I love sports so much because it was like I didn't feel that like, oh, I'm not, <laughs> uh, you know, like I'm going to, I don't want to miss the game. Like when it, when it got canceled, I was like, oh, this is nice. Yeah. Like I don't have, like when football, when football starts, I love it. But then at the end of the season, I'm so ready for it to go to have Sundays back, mm -hmm. you know? Interesting. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Um, and then the third one I put, Jamie dies in a fire. <laughs> yeah. You know, a, a very gruesome, like she left the, she left the burner on the oven while she was high. The candle left While the candle she's off. high. Yeah. You Everything's know. well alive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either that or just like carbon monoxide where everyone just except you're you're the last one to die and you walk into the rooms of your kids and you see and you like pick up their lifeless bodies and you cut her and you go to cut her and he's dead and then for and some then, reason i was just there <laughs> yeah in the middle of the night. Rob's on the couch, he's dead. I I snuck into pee on Jack. Yeah. <laughs> it's you. Yeah. yeah. Jack's not really peeing in, a, in the bed every night. Every Wouldn't morning, it be... I got changed the fucking sheets. I like to think it's Bean going in there and just <laughs> yeah. getting revenge on baller him. Move. Yeah, he can't even jump onto the table, but he's getting in that crib. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's hear it, Cass. Go for it, babe. Uh, being violently abducted. Now I left that open ended. <laughs> it could be from aliens, or it could just be. I don't from think that'd a... be your biggest fantasy. Yeah. Well, violently. Violently, said. yeah. yeah. I want to be. I want consent with the aliens. Yeah. Or just by like a serial killer. You know, being he wants, taken. He wants to be seductively seducted. Mm, oh, yeah. seductively abducted. abducted. Yes. that's it's the name like, of my it's new like podcast. It's like hopelessly devoted. Check out my new podcast, seductively <laughs> abducted. <laughs> Boom, Brilliant. million dollar ideas. You didn't even. Twister. You didn't even pay How the bread. How do you say that fee. so fast? Seductively <laughs> abducted. Seductively abducted. Seductively abducted. Uh, dying alone. Oh. And my brother dies in a fire. Ay ay ay. Hmm. I yeah. just don't nothing, want the, uh, the nothing, fire nothing is. About us. Um, no, you guys. Let's see. If I added a four, five, six, I'd put you down around six. Okay, that's nice. Yeah, Top yeah. ten. I take. See, it. I didn't want to say dying alone because I think you're gonna, and I didn't want to like. Mm. It's sure. Kind of a touchy thing. Yeah. So yeah. I said uh, not finding a girl to start a family with. Yes. I thought it would be number one. That's a better. That's better than saying dying alone. Yeah. See that? This is why when I tell people who they really are. Tell and me. what they and what they really like, you and they know. get mad at me. But the truth is, I know better than them. They're getting mad because it's the truth. Yeah, that's it. I, I know you better than you know you. Even mm. the person listening to this right now in your car, mm. never met you. I know you better than you know you. That's mm -hmm. it. Person sitting at that's home. Rob's new podcast coming I, out. Yeah, I, I know you better oh. than you know you. <laughs> I know you better than you know you. It's true. Uh, something and mine happened. Is, let's get high and watch people die. Hi, <laughs> <laughs> uh. die. And then I have something happening uh, to your parents. I thought it would be there, but For he sure. doesn't care. Just his brother in a fire. And then I never finding out if we are alone, yeah. alien wise. Mm. That would be just a, a huge disappointment for me. You know, if I if I 
make it all these years and I would never get that answer, you know? Yeah. Every day I think we get a little closer. Okay, uh, mine are an alien invasion while sleeping. Sure. Oh, and you missed it? it? (laughs) I slept through it, that's great. A Bigfoot appearance while sleeping. Oh, also great. And starting your own pod cast. Mm. Yeah, it's a big would fear. be is a, is yeah. a huge fear. He would have to do stuff, which <laughs> you can't as do me it. and Bryce know. It's yeah, seductively abducted coming real to struggle. A, coming to Apple Podcasts. That's that's real a, soon. That's a shirt. It's a that's great, a merch, babe. It's a great hashtag. Dude, my pocket. I'm. I just. Ha- I have it submitted to iTunes, and I'm just waiting for approval. So, yeah, yeah, go look, check it out. Well, they have a diversity thing that they ask. That would get you right in there. Yeah, mm. check it out. Five stars. How many Middle Eastern? How many guys from Jordan have their own podcast? Would you be? You wouldn't be the first. Let me look it up. There's got to be somebody. You know, ever since that guy on the 90 Day Fiance, you know, I feel like we're we're just everywhere now. Yeah. Jordanians. He was like the Jackie Robinson for you guys. Yeah, he, he was our Jackie Robinson. And he was not great. But he was like, Jack. if Jackie Robinson couldn't hit a baseball. You know? <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. He just stood there with the bat on his shoulder every game. Yeah. Are after. Arabs tuning into podcasts? <laughs> That's the first thing. Not that according to up. our numbers. <laughs> There's a Jordanian podcast network. Oh, man. Oh, JPN? They just quadru- We are a small podcast, and they just quadrupled their numbers from you saying that. Jamie, you yeah. went to New York for a day. Did it look different? Oh, my God. So different. Really? Like, coming out of... So, I, you know, I, we landed at uh, 5 p.m. and, you know, went to the hotel. And obviously, you know, we went straight to the hotel. The street... I remember feeling the streets look kind of empty, but it was Sunday night. So, I was, like, not going to judge that. You know, going to the hotel is obviously weird. There's no room service, you know, to limit. You can order... DoorDash or whatever, Postmates or whatever. So we ordered some food, went to bed kind of early. And but when I left the next morning, Monday morning, right? I was in Midtown. Like you think things are pumping. It was pretty empty, and it was real weird. Wow, that was like, like for, such things, a climax to like. It was pretty empty. <laughs> yeah, like it was meaning. Does that mean there was cars on the road? But you know, not where it's like you know you're sandwiched between people on the sidewalk and you know tons of like easy to hail a cab storefronts boarded up i mean i haven't been to new york in a year and it was it was it was sad it was really sad it just it, it did not feel like itself you know at least the energy i remember and love so much about the city where'd everyone go they don't have money they can't stay open they all go upstate Texas, Florida, Utah. I heard a lot of people are going to Utah, Mm. Colorado. Take it back from the Mormons. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even Idaho I'm hearing is in the mix a little bit. Yes, Mm -hmm. and also a lot of, I think a lot of people from New York have come to California. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes sense. Everyone was on top of each other, literally out there. Yeah, yeah. I would love to go. I, I just need two people to be like, I'm moving to Montana, and I would love it. Yeah, Cutter wants to get a vacation. That's his like dream place to get a vacation house one day. Like you know, when we like you know think about what we what we would do if we had extra money. Right. He wants a a Yellowstone. Oh, I had another uh, biggest fear for you that I forgot to put. It was um, if you were like at the Super Bowl or something, and they showed you on TV, and you had a booger in your nose. Oh, I wouldn't care. 
I thought having a booger in your nose is like your biggest fear. Really? You, I think we could pull. I hate having Gabby. boogers. I hate having boogers in my nose. That's why I'm like all my fingers always in it, like like always like <laughs> Hell this. Yeah, dude. I do this all day long, and it really bothers Cutter. Um, because you're worried about boogers. Not worried. I just hate the feeling of them. Like if I feel like there's a booger in there, I need it out. I mean, of course. I mean, like I don't want that to happen, but it's not it, the biggest. It, not not See, not top ten. That's why my intuition told me not to write it down because I know yeah, you, you so know. well. You know. Go ahead. What are you going to do, Cass? You about to read an email, babe? Um, I'm just getting them ready. You know, I think we've got a nice, healthy stack here. We do. Well, we have Remember a guest. Remember, we used to have like three, and we have a guest. So, oh, yes. Uh, okay. We've no, got no, some no. time. Yeah. We got some time. Let's so read I, some may emails. I tell where uh, if people want to write us in emails, send us an email at askpajamapants at gmail .com. That's where uh, we print all these and. Um, we also have an Instagram. We sometimes will read messages from there. Remember we used to have like three to choose from? Yeah. Let's get this. It's a fat stack. That's why I feel like every show we should be chipping away at it, which we've been doing a good job this of. This is exciting. By the way, I feel like there's our shows that are going to come someday where it's like we just run out of stuff to talk about and those are going to be great. The um, I, I saw somebody who said, because, you know, I, used, I, I didn't want, at first I was like, I'm not going to read any comments about the show. And then I was like, you know what? I should at least check the Instagram to like know what's going on. If people... I want to see like if people have real critiques and mm -hmm. like, hey, you cut each other off too much. And it's like, oh, yeah, I want to know that. I want to get better totally. at that. I want to that. And then um, so on Instagram, when you don't have an account uh, months back, they shut they shut it to where you can't even look at Instagram anymore. So I'm like, OK, uh, I was like, I'm going to start going on YouTube and looking at some of the comments. And one comment I saw said, I finally figured out who you three are. It was like it's Bart, Lisa and Milhouse. I was like, holy shit. Wow. It's pretty fucking yeah. good. What's funny, Bryce? What's funny about that? I can't wait for the illustration, the fan art on that one. Yeah, oh. Heather Heather fakes it is gonna Yeah. What, you lose yeah, audio. I've been, I've been getting a I lot of Millhouse my whole life. Yeah. Really? And you know what? I used to um push push back against it, but I'll tell you what, I've come around to it because what did who was Millhouse? Um he was Bart's best friend, right? Cared about his best friend. And he was in love with Lisa. Mm. It sounds like being called Millhouse was your MS. That's my. That's you what really... I walk around with every day. Yeah, but now you've decided. Last week you said to Cutter, "I want to let this go. I want it. I want it off my shoulders." Oh, that you're in love with me? No, no, no. Oh. What, <laughs> Jamie? Sometimes, like when you have those thoughts, Jamie, keep them inside. Like we. <laughs> Don't need to hear, obviously, like it's obvious. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great representation of it. Um, yeah. It's also, so good. physically, I look incredibly like Millhouse, so I appreciate that. This one's uh, from somebody uh, just wants to go by HK. Just binged all your episodes, and I have questions. One, I'm sad I'm out of episodes. Your show feels like having a group of friends in my quarantine house. Now I'm back to having no friends until the next episode. That's the goal, to feel like your friends. Two, please never feature another salad metaphor on this podcast. That was horrible. I think that was... Uh, Mark. Oh, well, yeah. I thought it was great. I don't know Three, I have that. a couple questions. For the whole group, what is your biggest regret? If you could go back in time and take a, a moment back, what would it be? One of my major regrets, in high school, there was a girl I hated. She was annoying and nasty, but she was in a school group of mine, so I had her cell number. I was sending a text talking about how much I hated her, specifically how disturbing her feet were. Scaly, stubby, peeling, again, nasty. But instead of sending it to my friend, I sent it to her. 
I stand by what I said, but the moment still haunts me. I would take it back if I could. I did the whole thing to my boyfriend too once. I, I did the same thing to my boyfriend too once. One more for the whole group. Understanding that Hollywood people don't really care about meeting other Hollywood people. I get it. I've worked with celebrities and politicians a lot and meh. But if there was one star you could meet, let's go with currently living, who would it be? Who would you most want to sleep with? There's a lot of questions. Who would you most want to sleep with for Jamie, your hall pass? Let's 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 stop because we have seven questions. Right sure, now. but what's the first question? Your biggest regret. Biggest regret. Okay, no regrets. That's what I say. No regrets. Ah, uh, there's a couple of guys I could have done without. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, if I could go, like, I know, like the whole drinking and drug thing. Like, I think I had to. It's like the alchemist. I had to go through yes. it to realize that yes. uh, you know. But uh, it's like with cigarettes. I think mm. picking up that first cigarette, or just like if I can go back and never smoke. I wish I never smoked a cigarette. I yeah. smoked for a couple of years. I didn't. I, I wish I didn't do that. I'm sure there's bigger regrets that I have. I just I can't think of one right now. That's the one that pops into my head. It's like fuck. Why did I? Yeah. Like it didn't you know? serve you. Like you didn't learn anything from it. Yeah. Yeah. And there's also like. You know, there's there's other things that I regret, but it would have to like you'd have to rewind that to go to the bigger issue, mm -hmm. you know, of like not being there for people when I was mm. doing drugs and drinking all the time. But then that would go back to like, what's the regret? Like not drinking in part. It's hard to figure yes. unwind all that. You yes. know? Yeah. What about you? babe? What's the biggest regret? Uh, well, I mean, as of recently, it would have to be buying a house with somebody that you shouldn't have bought a house with. You mm. know, it gets tricky. It gets tricky. Yeah. Mm. That's I've been trying to find a way to describe it. Yeah, then it's it's been very tricky. That's um, not so can you people who don't know what happened, can you tell them Oh, for our new listeners out yeah. there? Yeah. Well, look, yeah, there was a a, moment, a time last year where me and my um ex-girlfriend uh we were struggling, decided that we were going to follow through on a, a house that we had put and and when we put the bid in on the house our offer, it was like the next day the pandemic happened and all of a sudden, um, you know, like we were kind of in the situation where we had to follow through with this thing that we were going to do, but we were also struggling and we could have pulled out, you know, but we decided to work It's like that it. couple that like has a baby to try, has a baby to try and save the relationship. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, we, we decided maybe, you know, let's spend millions of dollars, not on therapy, but on a house. Yeah. You don't have to say who it was, but was there one person who was more like, no, we should do this, or was it very 50-50, like, this is the we right move? We went back and forth a lot, and then there was like, you know, sometimes you're in a good spot right. in the relationship for like a, a week or two, and then you're like, yeah, okay, this is, we're gonna work through it. And we were in therapy, and like, we thought there was, did not work. So that's a regret. Mm. All right, what's what's her next question? Um, the other question is, who would you want to meet um, if you could meet living. somebody who is currently living? And Jamie, who would you sleep with if you got a pass? Casim, you go first, well, I think. I tell you, there's, uh, there's a few people I would like to corner in a room. Um, and I was in the same room as Bob Lazar one day, mm. but I feel like I could just really spend the whole day asking him questions, you know, um, as far as, but I don't think he's, he necessarily counts as a celebrity. Uh, yeah, he does. Does sure. he? Yeah. 
I like I I feel like I me and Brad Pitt would really just get along. It's a good one. We would just get along. I would like to get him in uh like a tank top and in a convertible and just cruise around. You know how he has the he does the one arm outside the window, one hand on the wheel, and then I would be in the passenger seat with like a, a wrap, a head wrap, mm, you know, those cute. big glasses. Yeah, to protect your hair. <laughs> yeah. And uh yeah, I, I could just be like seen with Brad Pitt. Yeah. Which is that's got to be such a cool feeling. Yeah. You know. I love having a friend with a brain so different than mine. Yeah. yeah. It like is I cool. would you could have asked me a like how we made the list of 3 people. I never would have been like, yeah, I bet Cassim just wants to see be seen in a car with Brad Pitt wearing a bonnet. Never. Yeah. Full of surprises. It's great. Think think like Marilyn Monroe, you know. Oh, like, no, I get no, it. We, yeah. we get just, the visual. Uh, we get yeah. it. A full and like a, a nice dress. I'm going to talk to you guys about my life. I'm a very big part of my life, and that's Theragun. If you don't know what Theragun is, let me explain it to you. <laughs> it's the handheld percussive therapy device that releases your deepest muscle tension using a scientifically calibrated combo of depth, speed, and power. It's as quiet as an electric toothbrush. If none of that made sense to you, it's basically a handheld device that it replaces foam rolling, fascia release. It gets so deep into your muscles to release the tension. It feels so good. I use it on the bottom of my feet and on my legs before bed. It's so quiet, doesn't disturb anyone who's watching TV or scrolling their phones next to you. Hmm. There's an OLED screen um, and it makes you feel like you're kind of like holding something from the future. They have an app which can um, learn your behaviors and suggest guided routines. You guys, it's the best. And the Gen 4 Theragun doesn't just feel good. It gets to the source, like I said, of the pain. It does more than a massage could ever do, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And it's trusted by 250 professional sport teams like Real Madrid and elite athletes like Paul George, DeAndre Hopkins, Maria Sharapova, Kasim. And me. I use it every day after the gym. Mm -hmm. It helps in muscle recovery. Yes, before you know? and after, you can make they can oh, help you so uh, with the app. Like figure that whole thing. It out. It really does make a difference. I I uh, worked out before I got my Theragun, mm -hmm. and I noticed that my um, recovery the next day I feel a little looser. And then I use it before the gym to open up. Yep. Um, I used to only foam roll. Now I foam roll and Theragun. There you go. And my workouts have never been better. That's right. So you can try Theragun for 30 days, starting at only $199. If you go to theragun.com slash pajama right now and get your Gen 4 Theragun today, that's theragun.com slash pajama, theragun.com slash pajama. Guys, we only wear one mask. One mask only. That's it. The Braddock Mask. Yeah, these guys have been sponsoring the pod since the very beginning, and they're still with us. And, um, you know, we get a lot of comments about people saying, uh, uh, yeah, we just bought the Braddock Mask. They're super comfortable. Um, people are finding out that they are the softest. They are machine washable. They're uh, an incredible value, so you can have more than one. They come in all these different styles. I like to keep one in every car. I own two cars. So. And um, yeah, they're made right here in the USA at an upcycled, breathable uh, jersey material. It's eco-friendly and it covers, it's the only cover that offers protection without being a nuisance to deal with. Um, handmade in Los Angeles uh, to protect our community and fellow citizens. Born out of necessity, our factory is fully stocked and we do it all under one roof. 
We have a 100% satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not happy, just let us know and we'll make it right for you. We take pride in the products we create and keeping our neighbors employed and community healthy. They are local, they are right out of Los Angeles, and it's not out of China. Every, I get so many texts, friends, uh, people who got these masks and they love them. They're really, I love them, they're my favorite. When, um, when all of my masks are dirty, I do the laundry to use these and not have to use the masks that I bought in the beginning of quarantine, because these are my favorite. Yep. Uh, now, when you go check out their website at braddockusa.com, you'll see they have uh, great prices, but for a limited time, they're offering an additional 20% off with promo code PJPants. Again, that's 20% off your entire order with promo code PJPants at B-R-A-D-D-O-C-K-U-S-A.com, braddockusa.com with promo code PJPants. And support the people, support the show. Masks that are made in the USA. Some people, how could you hate that? Can't. Some people's brains are doing a little tug of war right now. I, I, I can't and I won't. Only only here. Can't, won't. So well, thank you so much for putting everything aside to do this. Yes. Oh, you're kidding? Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, any anytime, anything for you guys, of course. When I, when I texted you, I was like, oh, are you available 1230 on Thursday? And you were like, I'll make myself available. And that's how I feel. That's such a nice answer. And that's how I feel about Sopranos. Like when I think about mm -hmm. Sopranos, it's like that the feeling that that text gave me is the feeling that Sopranos gives me, you know? Well, I absolutely. Well, also selfishly, as long as I'm talking to you guys, it means I don't have to write. So. There you go. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. We can do it later. You want, we should hang out later, too. <laughs> yeah, wanna, for you know, sure. You can play online chess or, you know, whatever. So people get upset who listen to this podcast because we do exactly what we're doing, which is we just start talking to somebody and we don't. Yeah. So to introduce, this is Terry Winter, who is a, a incredible writer on our show. He directed how many episodes? One? or more what yes and that that cured me of wanting to direct <laughs> right well yeah because i had big scenes in it and you were like i'm never doing that exactly. shit again <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah now it was interesting you know uh that whole thing came about somebody said um you know because people always ask me do you want to direct they always assume the answer is yes and i always say well not really I'm, I'm very happy being a writer and they say well that's because no one has ever fucked up something you've written before uh -huh. someday somebody's going to fuck up something you really care about some director and then you're going to want to direct and that finally happened to me and uh it was a movie i wrote and which i you know won't even dignify it with a uh by mentioning it but it was a bad experience so i said you know what I, you, that guy was right it's time i'm gonna do it. so uh, we we were starting the new season and I, I had a whole big speech ready for David and uh, I knocked on his office door. I said, can I talk to you for a second? And I, I said, uh, I said, I think I'd, I'd like to direct. And he went, oh, okay, great. Uh, you'll write the script too? I went, yeah, yeah, of course. He goes, all right, what about episode five? I went, okay. <laughs> I said, do you want to hear my big speech about why I think I should direct? He's like, not, not particularly. <laughs> I said, all right, great, thanks. And I walked out and I was like, Oh shit! Now I have to do this. I guess I was kind of hoping he would talk me out right. of it. And now I was like, "Oh my god, I'm directing!" You know. So the good news is because you know I had such respect for directors and such a healthy fear of fucking it up that I really overcompensated, if that's possible, in terms of preparing. So I surrounded myself with Tim Van Patten and Phil Abraham and all the guys, and called Steve Buscemi and asked him for advice, and just like really, really locked it down where I knew I wasn't going to be a disaster. And uh, Buscemi was great. He gave me the best advice. He said, here's the thing. 
if somebody comes up to you and asks you a question, just answer it. it which one, the red one or the blue one? She said, just be decisive. Yeah. You can always change your mind later, but don't act like you don't know what you want. Just always just, just say the blue one and then think about it. And if it's not the blue one, just go back and say, you know what, actually, let's do the other one. You know, that was a great piece of advice. So the best thing, and, and you know, this goes to what you said before, Robert, about the Sopranos family. My first shot on my first day, it was a scene, it was uh, Carl Capitordo and I think Michael Imperioli in a car talking. And we were out on location. It was like 6.30 in the morning. We finally got set up. And I said, okay, let's let's get going. And I said, action. And they said the words. I was like, oh, my God, it's, this is really happening. They're, they're doing what I said. <laughs> and as soon as they stopped talking, I went, cut. And then I realized, oh, shit, that was too abrupt. You know, I, I too much of a, an abrupt cut. So I, I pulled Billy Coleman aside, who was our camera operator. And I said, Billy, I, I think I fucked up. I, I cut too soon. And Billy said, I, I didn't cut. <laughs> Nice. I, did, I, was, I waited a couple more seconds and then I cut. And he, that basically, and he, it was literally minute one of shooting. He said, listen to me. He goes, all of these people here love you. You can't fuck this up. We got your back. This is happening. You just do your job. Talk to the actors. Make sure you're getting what you want. We will get this on film. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. We got it. How, that was and I was that, like, oh, my God. That was that, what, that experience, though. That was the best experience. I mean, that was the best experience any first time director ever had. I mean, to know that all of these people I've been working with for five years already were completely on board and, you know, going to make this the best episode. But so, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, look, I mean, not to blow smoke up your ass, Robert. I mean, you made my job so easy, Jim, the, everybody. I mean, it was such, it was a, you know, it, it had some complicated stuff in it, but uh, uh, performance wise, but you guys were great. I mean, you were you were on fire, particularly during that episode, even to the point where at one point I was doing a scene with Robert and Jim and it was a really emotional scene in the bedroom. And uh, we rehearsed and you were like right there emotionally. And Jim pulled me aside. He said, I don't know what you're doing, but I would get this first because this is he's like, I was like, yeah, I was already planning that, you know, once I saw you where you were emotionally. But it was great. It was a really fun experience. But, you know. I don't say, you know, I was kidding. When I said, cured me of wanting to direct. I realized that I, I'm really just happy being a writer. I know so many great directors. It's like, why do I have to get up at four o'clock in the morning when I could just let, you know, Phil Abraham do it or Alan <laughs> Coulter do it? You know, it's like, call me when you get, when you're ready to roll and I'll come and watch rehearsal and, and then I can go home at a decent hour too. So it's, I don't have that passion to do it. So, you know, without that, you know, I'd much rather sit in my office and, write and, and create stuff and then turn it over to people I respect. So do you feel that way about like, you know, the way that Sopranos uh, was David's baby, Boardwalk Empire was your baby. Do you feel like you enjoyed the experience more of like not being the final say or? No, I like I like being a boss, um, you know, just because, you know, who doesn't want to get things done their way? I mean, you know, that said, you know, I, uh, sorry, my phone is all good. That said, I, um, you know, I had a ton, you know, I think if, if I'm good at anything, it's hiring people that are better at their jobs than I am at mine and then delegating to them, letting them do their job. So I wasn't, I don't think I'm the type of showrunner that's, you know, micromanaging, you know, I'm not going to argue with, uh, you know, my four time, you know, Emmy winning production designer about, you know, what a set looks like, unless I have a really strong opinion. 
And even if I do, I'll say, can you walk me through why you made this choice? And usually you're sorry you asked the question because you get a 20 minute answer. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, they give you the history of the color purple, <laughs> you know, oh, back in the 18th century. Okay. All right. You're right. You're right. The same thing with hair design or I don't even have hair. I mean, I'm going to like argue about the, although it's funny on boardwalk empire, we did have a, um, we did have a, 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 a run in my hair, hair person. And I, in 1918, I think Gillette, invented the safety razor where for the first time in history men weren't using straight razors or usually men if wanted to get shaved would go to the barber so now this the safety razor is invented so it allows anybody to shave themselves safely at home so suddenly the marketing campaign for gillette was skewing the idea that uh facial hair was for old people if you're a young guy, you're, you're clean shaven because you have a Gillette razor. So whenever you see guys with beards and stuff, that's like what old people did. Starting in like 1918, young men did not have facial hair. So our show was set in 1920, 21. And I started to see all these extras, these young men with crazy goatees and, you know, like hipster beards and stuff. And I was like, what's going on? They go, well, you know, people had beards. I said, they did not. And I literally had to sit down with the Princeton yearbook from 1921 and I gave it to her and I said, find me one guy with facial hair. And there was literally not one young man in the graduating cl class of Princeton that had a mustache or a beard. Wow. I said, I don't want to see any more fucking beard. Wow. That's the only time I put my foot down with any department head and just said, I, I have the answer. And that was it. That's the last time that's ever happened. That was like 10 years ago. Otherwise, I don't know. You anything. always need someone like that because there's always like those people that write in. We're like, that's not accurate. You know, you. Need yeah, it drives me crazy. You know, I still, you know, I watch things with a producer's eye, you know, and, you know, the type of producing we did, you know, is more creative. Like I'll watch things and if I see anything that's historically anachronistic or that guy's hair is too long for 1962 or, you know, whatever it is, it kind of makes the hair on the back of my neck stand up a little mm. bit, you know, cause I know somebody, you know, on our shows, you, you may, may or may not remember, like when we start a scene, you know, before we'd shoot, you know, one of us from the writer producer would come in, walk through the set and just make sure everything looked real, you know? And, and sometimes that reality means it's too clean. It looks, people don't live like this. It would drive me crazy too sometimes, you know, not just on our show, but you know, wardrobe people come out with the lint brush. <laughs> And you're like, get out, go away. People have lint on them in real life. Don't. Everything doesn't have to look too pristine. Yeah. And I remember, um, you know, we we did a scene with was your apartment, uh, Jamie Lynn, uh, when you were in college. You had roommates, and it was that Billy Budd episode where they had the bit. Yes. And you know, Bob Shaw and I had a discussion. It, it just looked too, too perfect. It was too cutesy. The right posters and every little thing was just too good. And he. I said, I mean, I, I, you know, again, Bob's brilliant. I said, but I don't, you know, it's just, I'm just feeling this is a little too, and he looked around and I said, yeah, you know, I, I totally get it. And he, he messed it up a little bit and took away some stuff, but stuff like that, where it just feels like, yeah, this is, this is reality. Yeah. So that's kind of makes me happier when I see that on TV or in a movie that somebody's thinking about it. You know, as somebody who loves TV, I think that's what separates the great from the good. You know, I think everyone who typically lives in that sort of, not, I'm not saying everything is mediocre, but you can tell something where somebody took a little extra time and it's right. it's visible and you can see that as just somebody in the audience. I think, I think as like an actor, you can bullshit your way into a role, meaning like 
You could have, uh, you could be charming. You could now it's like you could have a big following right on Instagram and get an acting job. Where with you as a writer, it's like your script is good or it's not, right? Right. So there's no. Do you feel like, um, like would you rather be in the room when somebody reads your script, or do you just like sending it off and just fucking waiting to hear? One of the most squirmy things that ever happened to me, uh, I was flying from New York to LA with David Chase and Richard Plepler, who was the former president of HBO. And it was right after I had handed in my pilot script for Boardwalk Empire. And we were flying on the HBO jet. It was just the three of us for some reason flying from New York to LA. So I had given the script in to HBO about a week earlier and I hadn't heard anything from anybody. And we show up at the airport and Richard Plepler, you know, who's, you know, this big, smiling, gregarious guy gets on the plane. And he says to me, I got it right here. I said, what? He goes, you're pilot for Boardwalk Empire. I'm going to read it on the plane. I said, with me sitting three feet away. From he goes, oh, it'll be fine. And I'm like, oh, my God. So he, he we take off and he's up there reading and David is near him. And, you know, and he's looking at, you know, at one point David got up to get coffee. I said, is he, is he smiling? <laughs> is he laughing? And he's like, you know, and thank God he, he, he came up and he just said, we're, you know, we're doing this, oh, you know, cool. after, but great. you know, if he didn't like it, you know, what's he going to say? I mean, I'm trapped in a plane with this guy, you know? So thank God. But yeah, I'd much rather not have the reaction. But the other thing with writers too, even when, you know, when writers send me a script to read and usually what I'll say is it's good. I will read it. It's going to take me a while to get to it. So, and and even like a week will go by and I'll, I'll email the writer and say, just so you know, I haven't read it yet. Because as soon as it leaves your keyboard and, and goes into cyberspace, you think, oh my God, I haven't heard anything yet. It's been five minutes. They must hate it. Oh shit. God, oh God. They, they don't know what to say. They're not going to, you know, so I always, you know, give the courtesy saying, I haven't gotten to it yet. Please just, I'll get to it, but don't, because I know, because that's how I am at every writer is, you're freaking out waiting to hear what did they think, you know? And, uh, you know, as you said too, Robert, you know, the, the, you know, the blank page is the great equalizer. And that's we're diff very different from being an actor or, or a director even. You know, nobody, you know, up until very recently, nobody knew what writers looked like. I mean, Larry Gelbard, who is one of my TV writing heroes, uh, you know, created MASH and wrote Tootsie and a million other things. You know, I was in a nightclub and he, he, he was introduced by the performer on stage. And the guy was sitting right next to me. I didn't know what he looked like. I just knew who I knew the name and I knew the work. So the great thing about, you know, being a writer is you can you write a script, you send it in, people read it. It doesn't matter who wrote it. It doesn't matter where you're from. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. If you're a fucking Martian and you write the big, you know, next tentpole action movie, I guarantee you nobody cares that you're from Mars. That's all that matters. And that's, uh, you know, that's very freeing, you know? Yeah. I still think it's very brave. I mean, it's I, I, just, you know, this industry in general, I think, takes a lot of bravery, you know, and people like to say for actors, you're so brave that you're able to, you know, access emotions and be able to do that. But I think writing takes the most bravery because I just think it's a, it's very... 
it's it's vulnerable. I think it's it's very admirable, and I and I just have such respect for writers because even if I've ever tinkered and like try, I took a writing course for like a couple of months a few years ago when I was pregnant, and I loved it, but I was terrified to even turn it into my class because it's just you know it's <laughs> my sole creation. I think as an actor, I have the help mm-hmm. and the guidance of my director and the writer, and they help me form this character together. And then you're working with other actors, right. and you're you know, working off, but as a writer, I mean, it's really just you. So I just have such respect for writers. It's, it's not an easy thing to Thank do. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be vulnerable and, you know, I mean, you know, when it's elevated, you know, when it's this, you know, stuff that's really emotional and, and poignant and personal, you know, which is the stuff, you know, I love to work on and, and, and you guys have worked on, you know, it can be really that you, you really are mining your own, life and emotions for these stories. And, you know, I've, I've given this speech many times to my writers. I said, look, this is, this writer's room has got to be like a therapist's office. First of all, you've got to be able to say anything you want in here without fear of being judged or mocked or anything. And, and it, it stays in this room because what we're doing is really opening up your veins emotionally. I'll say like, tell me the worst thing that you ever did to somebody else, like in a relationship. What's the most fucked up thing that's ever happened to you? Or, you know, you, you got to be, if you're going to write, especially if you're going to write about criminals and drug addicts and really fucked up people, you got to be willing to access parts of yourself that are ugly and crazy. And, you know, I can't tell you how many things from my life ended up on The Sopranos or in Boardwalk Empire where I'll have friends call me up and go, oh my God, I can't believe you did that or mentioned that or these little inside jokes or, or, you know, stuff like, you know, when uh, Gloria, uh, Annabelle Sciorra's character hit Tony in the head with a steak. That was me in real life. I got hit with that steak, uh, <laughs> you know, in a relationship. You know, I knew, I said, this is going to be, this is going to end up in a script somewhere. I didn't know it was going to be Tony Soprano, but it was one of these fights that ended with me, uh, you know, being really, you know, cocky and macho going, you're going to fucking cook or not. And she's like, oh, are you hungry? And I went, oh, shit. (laughs) This didn't go the way I thought. I started heading out the door and she flung this London broil at me and nailed me in the back of the head. And I left. I was like, that was pretty great. And um, a month later, we're sitting down to dinner and she says, you know what that is? I said, said, that's the London broil I hit you with. (laughs) She's like, I picked it up and washed it and then froze it. So I wasn't going to throw it out. It was like a perfectly good piece of meat. Like, and thank God it wasn't frozen when she hit me with it because she would have killed me. What? But, uh, you know, little things like that. Yeah. When something like that happens in your life uh, or any, like even now when things happen, are you ever out of the actual moment of life because you're thinking like, oh, this is going in a script or does it happen later? Mm. You know, I, th- I think I tend to remember a lot of stuff and I've had this conversation with friends too. I said, I, I don't know if more shit happens to me than most people, or I just remember things and I I recognize them as stories when they happen. I think that's more it. I think I have, and and most writers have a storyteller's vision where, you know, something will happen and you will frame it into a narrative. And I remember those things. And then I'll share the story verbally with people. So I have a big arsenal of all these crazy things that happen to me that end up in, you know, and I don't think more crazy stuff's happened to me than the average person, but I just tend to remember it and I figured out a way to monetize it. (laughs) I also think people who tell good stories gravitate towards people who tell good stories. So it's probably hard for you to judge like, you know, uh, because like 
I remember, bless you, I remember um, one time I went through like uh, this crazy thing happened to me on the way to dinner and I was with a friend and when we got to dinner, I was like, yo, I'm like, tell him what just happened. And my friend was like, oh, we got in the wrong Uber. And I was like, what? Yeah. I was like, no, that, that's not at all what just, what the fuck are you talking? You know, and it's like, it's yeah. it's crazy. But I think when you grow it's, up something- It's frustrating. It's frustrating. It's frustrating when you're hearing somebody try to tell a story and they fuck it up or they give away the, the punchline first. Like, yeah, yeah. That's oh, my husband. Let me tell that's him. That's my tell husband. I just get really upset when he starts talking about a story. Cause I'm like, no, just let me say it. Yeah. I wonder well, it's if- funny. I wonder if there's something about being from New York that makes you uh, like just I'm thinking of my friends and people I grew up around yeah. that makes you a better storyteller because people will call you on your shit. So you have to right. notice all these details. Well, I've always said, I mean, growing up in New York, I mean, it, it, it certainly provides a wealth of material. You are just jam packed in a, you know, in an environment with so many people. Stuff's going to happen to you. Mm -hmm. You Things are going to happen to you all the time. Mm -hmm. So you are there's no shortage of incidents and things. It's funny when uh, we did the episode uh, University, which was uh, an episode that uh, juxtaposed the lives of two young women, you know, one of whom was Meadow away at college with dealing with her quote unquote problems with her crazy roommate. And then another young woman who's a stripper at the Bada Bing who had real problems. She ends up getting beaten to death by uh, Joe Pantoliano's character. So we were juxtaposing these two young women and their 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 various crises. And you know, at one point we needed something horrible to happen to Meadow and her roommate, you know, some encounter on the street. And, you know, right away, I was like, oh, I got one. You know, one time uh, I was on the subway and there was this giant homeless woman with all of her bags and she had a big skirt made out of garbage bags. And it was just me and another guy on the car and this woman. And she got up to go to her spot and she picked up her bags and her skirt opened and she was completely naked underneath the plastic skirt. But that's not even the, the punchline is. And she had crumpled up newspapers up to the crack of her ass. <laughs> and... You know, I just looked at the other guy and he looked at me and went, you know, and just went back to whatever we read. And she left. So I think, well, that's so Dave was like, oh, that's perfect. Let's do that. And I was like, OK, well, that was easy. And then um, the, the greatest thing ever. And this is I just you just adore David for this stuff. At the time, the New York Post was like kind of giving the show a hard time, like like shitting on the show. So David said, I want the newspaper that's crumbled up or has to be the New York Amazing. Post. So that was what it was. And, uh, and then we got some woman who. You know, the actress who played the homeless woman didn't want to do it. And then, you know, but I think I, I might have been me who said, look, here's the deal. We're going <laughs> to we're going to hire a stunt person to do this. And there's going to be a, sh a, a close up of, of an ass. Everybody's going to think it's your ass. Even if it's not, you might as well get the money and do it. She's <laughs> like, she's like doing it. She's like, all right, give and me the sports section. Yeah. <laughs> nah, she said that. Nah, thanks anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and so I said, look, you, you're gonna get you're gonna get blamed for this regardless because we're gonna assume it's you. But anyway, I had a question uh, yeah. as it when you were talking about writers' rooms, and I and I wanted to know what the difference between a, a writers' room twenty years ago and what one would be like today. And you know, you talked about how you yeah. got to be able to talk about whatever. And it's got to be a safe space. And, and yeah, you know, yeah. I know, you know, a lot of friends are writers and it's things are kind of just different now. And, and how you it sounds. Uh, yeah. I mean, I haven't actually had a writer's room. I did a, a mini writer's room last year, but it was very small. It was with three people who I knew really well. 
Uh, so we didn't have to tiptoe around each other and, uh, you know, accidentally offend somebody. And, you know, I mean, and again, look, it, 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 absolutely there needs to be respect. And I get the idea that, you know, there are certain words that are triggers for people and everything else, but it, it is almost impossible to do this job without, again, you know, especially if you're writing about criminals and horrible people without talking about stuff and being honest and saying words that might be hurtful. So, you know, it's, it's, it's really challenging. And I know, you know a lot of people are struggling with that, but, you know, um, you know, you, you, you know, there's the other thing too. I, and part of the speech I give is like, we have to be free to talk about anything. Obviously you can't attack somebody else. You can't make fun of somebody else. It's gotta be, you know, respectful. But that said, you, you, you have to let me, you know, it's funny. I remember uh, back on The Sopranos, this is, you know, long time now, you know, say 15 years, maybe longer. Uh, we're in the, we're, we used to have our writer's room and our writer's assistant would not be in the room with us. When we were ready to dictate an outline, uh, she would come in, this young woman who worked with would come in and then take the information. So at one point she asked David, um, would it be okay if I sat in on the writer's room? I'd love to hear the banter and how you guys come up with this stuff. And David said, let me, let me think about it. So a few days went by and a lot of what we did in that room and, and subsequent rooms, a lot of it is storytelling. A lot of it was, if you were fly on the wall, you'd say, when are they going to start talking about the Sopranos? When are they gonna, and what it is, we are, this is it. This is how it works. It's a lot of digression. It's a lot of what are we going to have for lunch and what's in the newspaper. And one time I knew this guy and this happened to me. And, and before you know it, a story starts to morph. So anyway, I told one particularly off-color story, something that happened to me. I don't remember what it was, but I know it was it was pretty gnarly. I can't believe I used that word. My <laughs> wife's from the San Fernando Valley, so I just pulled out an 80s surfer word. I've anyway, never identified with you more than in this one. <laughs> yeah. So it was bad, whatever it was. So everybody listened, and David said to me, let me ask you a question. If our writer's assistant, the young woman, was here while you told that story. Would you have edited that story? And I said, probably a little bit. And he said, well, she can't come in here. We can't, I can't have filtered versions of stuff that happens. Yeah. I need the truth. Yeah. And he said, that's the answer. I mean, I can't, you know, I can't, you guys can't be self-conscious in here. You've got to be able to say whatever you want. And, uh, and that's really important. And it's, you know, and I, and, you know, otherwise I think you end up with, you know, this homogenized cookie cutter stuff that doesn't offend anybody. doesn't make anybody think about anything. Everything's fine. Everything works out. Nobody's mad at each, you know, it's like, it's not life, you know, unfortunately. So. Before starting this podcast, I actually was kicking around ideas with my one friend who's a writer and we started to, uh, write a script. And one night his girlfriend is like, you know, uh, can you, there's a dinner that you could go to. And he's like, no, I have to, I'm working on the script with Rob. And I was going over his place and we're sitting there and we're going to write. And, uh, when she came home, whatever time it was, and he had like, he smoked weed. So he had like a bong on the table or whatever. But when she came home, uh, we happened to be talking about think like kicking around the idea of doing this scene. And I was like, oh, wouldn't it be funny if it was like Scooby-Doo, the old chase scenes. And I'm like, remember how they would come in one door and run out the other and this. <laughs> 
So yeah. we were like, oh, let's go to YouTube and look that up. And she came in from this dinner and walked in and there was a bong on the table. And we were watching Scooby-Doo. <laughs> and she's like, you said you couldn't come to dinner with my family. because." And he's like, no, I am. I'm working right yeah. now. It's fucking, oh, I'll never forget. I, I can't tell you how many times Rachel has walked in. And same thing, I've gone down like a YouTube rabbit hole where I'm looking at something or I'm throwing a ball against the wall or I'm staring into space. And that is part of the process. I am legitimately working. Yeah. And uh, it's not all typing. And, you know, most of it actually is is procrastinating. And, you know, but that's part of it. I can't tell you how many naps I've taken, um, <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, during the day. And it's funny, you know, um, yeah, it, 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 it to the untrained eye. I totally get it. It looks like you just you just messing around, but it's that's part of it. I guess also of being a writer is being able to pitch things. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you I mean, have yeah, so much- yeah, I mean, that's you know, you know, that's basically part of the sales process. Is you know, and and you know, you know, people even ask me, well, how do you do that? I go, well, I act like I'm telling a story to a friend. Like, yes. listen to this fucking crazy story I just heard. Yeah, and you know, when when you get it you know, down to that, you know, and and that's how I would pitch it to the head of the network. Listen to this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to believe this story, you know, and, you know, people, we all kind of, you know, I generally, my thumbnail, you know, rule is if I think it's interesting, you'll probably think it's interesting. If I think it's funny, you'll probably think it's funny. You know, in general, you know, I have a pretty good, you know, I just go, okay, well, you know, is that, did I like that song? If I did, probably you will, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, you know, but usually, I guess I should say. You, like, obviously, listen, you've been nominated for Oscars. You've won Emmys. We know you're a great writer. So I, what I want to know is, does being a great writer transfer over into other shit? Like, have, have you ever, are you like, I could write a song? I could write, or is it just, are you like, no, this is my lane? Mm. It's so funny. We, about a year ago in this house where I'm in a mammoth, we had a bunch of friends over and we all said like what's what's your secret ambition and mine was to write a song uh i doodle around on the guitar uh i love to sing we do karaoke night all the time but i always i'm always amazed at people who write songs and uh i you know whenever i hear a new song that's really catchy i go how did they come up with this it's like i have to assume every combination of sounds in in the world has already been put together again and then you hear something that's completely new and go how the fuck do they do this? And, or, you know, you look, you know, listen, you know, I, I just listened to uh, a, a, a book on tape about Van Halen and like, oh yeah, you know, we would just sit down and, you know, within an hour we'd come up with a song. It's like, just mind blowing. So I, I, I have been working on trying to write a song for a year and I'm nowhere. I have nothing. <laughs> I have, I have a very a couple of lyrics, but I cannot come up with a tune that that isn't already a Beatles song or some <laughs> other song. And, uh, you know, I, I remember uh, on Howard Stern, um, I forget who he was. Ta- I think he was talking to Billy Joel and Billy Joel said he wakes up, you know, he's, he would wake up with uh, a tune in his head. And then he, and that would be a hit song. And Howard Stern said, I, the only thing I wake up with is a boner. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, I do, I, and thank God this, I mean, when I think about the skill that I've been lucky enough to be, I guess, you know, a lot of it is just inherent. You know, I, I kind of, even when I started doing this, I knew, I, I kind of knew I could do it. I just had a feeling, you know, I left, I was a lawyer, as you guys probably know, and finally just got fed up. I was like, you know, I know I can do this. Um, 
but thank God, I, you know, I happen to, you know, the accident of being born in the 20th century with a medium like TV and movies. Like if I was born in the 17th century and I was just some asshole who told stupid stories, they'd be like, yeah, get back to fucking work. Stop moving those rocks around. Stop with your stupid shit. And now it's like, oh, my God, there's actually this is a job. Yeah. You know, I mean, I actually make up stupid jokes for a living. And, you know, I've actually, you know, as much as t- people complain about TV, you know, I have to remind them, you know, TV paid for my house. The food that you're eating right now, that's TV. Mm-hmm. My kids are going to college because of TV. It's not the boogeyman that you think it is. It can be. Look, if you do anything 15 hours a day, it's probably not good. But I've learned a lot of shit from TV, you know, and, uh, you know, it's been very obviously good to my family and you know so you were a lawyer but you also said you uh, i remember you said you worked in uh i believe it was on talking sopranos our friends michael imperioli steve sharippa check out their podcast if you haven't uh but uh uh you said you worked in a deli i want to know did you meet more characters working in a deli or working on sopranos <laughs> that's close uh <laughs> yeah. you know actually yeah but funny before i met uh, before I worked in a deli, I was also the, I was a delivery boy for a butcher shop in Brooklyn that was actually owned by Paul Castellano, the head of the Gambino family. Wow. And part of that job is, you know, most of that job was I was, the, you know, would deliver meat to people's houses. And it was so, you know, I think back now, I go, what an opportunity that was. I got to go into other people's houses and see how other people lived. Like every day I would be in 10 new houses and they'd come on in and I'd see, you know, what the furniture looked like and and then realize like how shitty my own house was, you know, as a result of that. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I would get to go into people's houses and then the deli, like people would come in and, uh, you know, I'd have all these neighborhood characters every day. And I'd start to like, go, oh, my God, I didn't realize there were so many alcoholic men in the, that would come in and buy two six packs of beer every night at six o'clock. The same guys. And it's funny. At one point in the deli, uh, we were held up by two guys with one one guy with a gun and another guy with a hunting knife that he you know, stuck to my sternum and jumped the counter. And so we had to go down to the police station and look at mug shots. I can't tell you how many customers from the deli were in that mug <laughs> And I was like, holy shit, look at this guy. Look, this is the guy who comes in and buys, you know, whatever. And, uh, it's, it was amazing. So it's really, really eye-opening. One of my other favorite jobs in college was I was the doorman in the building you grew up in, if you remember, Robert. I was the uh, midnight to eight doorman at Rupert Yorkville Towers on the Upper East wow. Side. Yeah. And uh, Robert lived in the Knickerbocker building, which was on 2nd Avenue and 92nd Street. And uh, I got to sit in that lobby. This is before you were born. I'm fucking old. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I don't think we ever crossed paths, but you remember some of the guys I worked with. You remember Ralph. Martin. Martin, yeah. <laughs> Ralph was this really lovely guy. He was actually probably my age now when I worked there, he was from Trinidad. He was like built like a brick shit house. Like I think he had been a cop in Trinidad, but just always reading the Bible and just really sweet. And he was really easy to prank. We would call when Ralph was on duty in that lobby, we would call from one of the other lobbies and pretend to be a tenant. And I'd say, oh, there's there's a naked man running in, running around in in the building. And and he'd get on the walkie talkie like a minute later, go supervisor, there's a naked man running about in your office. I mean, like, all right, Ralph, we'll be right there. And then we go down. Then we call back ten late, ten minutes later. And he just he would never he would never he just never knew we were pranking him. It was really fun. Yeah. Oh, that is so funny. Well, when you're talking about like the characters, like, and you're saying if you know that he met in the deli or in Sopranos. 
I just this past year, I'm wa- I'm watching Sopranos for the very first time, and wow. to me, you know, all those guys were they were so always so sweet to me. I think especially because I was the young girl, but they were you know they were who they were. They were these characters, but these gentlemen. But then when you're watching the show and you see where they can kind of take their quirkiness and become. These things, yeah. I understand why when people would meet them, they'd think they were meeting, you know, the characters because they right. are really larger than life in real life as yeah. well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's, it's very strange. It's got to be very strange for you guys uh, th- that people, just, you know, automatically assume, you know, that you are the person. And also yeah. they think you remember every scene you were ever in. And they, I have people like that come up and say some weird line to me. And, and I'll, I say, I'm sorry, I don't know what you mean. They go, that's, that's, you wrote that. That's, yeah. I go, yeah. did I? Oh, okay. Yeah. I, you know, I, cause I don't, I don't, I haven't watched The Sopranos since it's been off the air, nor have I watched Boardwalk Empire. I'm kind of waiting. My kids are 12 and 13 now. So they got a couple more years uh, where we'll watch it together. That's and then, cool. then they have to rethink everything they know about me. Yeah. <laughs> At my, at my confirmation in real life, Tony Sirico came up to me, handed me an envelope full of cash, and he said, if you ever have a problem, you call Uncle Tony. And I just thought it was totally normal. I was like, oh, okay. Exactly. You said that you, growing up in Brooklyn, you had heard of Tony Sirico before you met him. Oh, what yeah. kind of exactly. stuff? Really? What kind of stuff did you hear about Tony? Uh, he, I just, I knew he was a, a gangster. I knew he was a scary guy. He was known as Junior Sirico. Right. He was in and around the clubs in Bay Ridge where, you know, that was like where all the, you know, bars and clubs where people would hang out on the weekend and stuff. And he was in and around there. I just, I just knew he was a wise guy and, and, and also an, a kind of an actor, you know, but I knew he was the real deal. You know, he, uh, you know, he definitely, you know, was not acting a lot of this, you know. He and, was uh, so good on the show. He's so, great. And, oh and I mean, yeah, I mean, talk about vulnerable. I mean, he got to places where, you know, he really, uh, really let it, let it out. And uh, it, it's, it's not easy to do. I mean, that's one of the things I always marveled at you guys, too, about the, I think, for me, the hardest thing about acting seems to be the, the, the ability to let go of your self-consciousness to because we're all self-conscious to whatever degree mm-hmm. but to just say i don't give a shit i'm uh, these people who are standing around me are invisible uh i'm going to i'm going to act as if i'm alone and and you know and just just not be aware of that yeah. and i used to marvel at, at how you guys did that and jim uh you know who, who just let him go to such horrible places and it's just to, to, to just not not pretend not to care i mean it has to eat you up inside at some point. But in the moment I go, man, I can't believe this guy's standing eight feet away from me and is, is just acting as if he's alone in his house. You know, it's just pretty incredible. See, you, you were very nice to compliment my acting, but I think the truth is you had to write around me. <laughs> that, that's how I felt, you know? Oh it's like you have people like Jim and Edie where it's like, I could put fucking anything on this page and they could do it. And then you're like, oh, Robert? You're like, I, I got it. I will tell you something, and this is the God's honest truth on on my kids and David and I and the other guys talked about it too. There was not one time on that show where we ever wrote something and said, whoever the actor was can't do this, we can't give this to them. Not one time ever, and and which is incredible because I've been on other shows. Where you go, they can't do this. You can't give this line or this this monologue to that actor, and whoever it was that I'm talking about, from day players all the way up to Jim and Edie, no one. We never pulled back on anything, no matter how difficult it was. And you guys always delivered. You always got there emotionally, 
and uh, and always pulled it off. And we never ever had to write around anybody, which is what a blessing for us. You know, well, it was you know, like. When- when you wrote this, we just did a reunion recently for the firefighters. And when you wrote that script, it was fucking crazy yeah. how right back into yeah. just re- like I didn't even think about like, oh, going back into AJ or people going back into their characters. And then as soon as I saw that script, I read it in everyone's voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was am- it was amazing to watch it, too. I mean, it was such a pleasure to watch you guys become the characters again, you know, and. You know, uh, I remember like watching Michael Imperioli become Christopher because he's so not Christopher, yeah. uh, you know, in real life, you know, and it, it's so fun to see the, that morphing. And, you know, it looked, look, from where I was sitting, it looked like it was easy for you guys. I hope it was. It was definitely fun. Oh, that. it was so fun. Who, what? Knew, who knew we would ever get to, yeah. you know, say, you know, words as you know meadow and ej or you know again it was so yeah fun. yeah exactly one uh last thing before we let you go can you tell the story of how you used to leave scripts around for tony sirico to find <laughs> <laughs> yeah we you know he was so you know like every actor on the show uh was paranoid about getting killed off and uh you know that's the thing about you know if you're doing a gangster show or you know a show where there's guns around the set it can happen to anybody. And it's a great it's a great piece of leverage as a showrunner to have over actors who want to misbehave. You go, you know what? Shit happens all the time, mm-hmm. you know. So be careful. You know, they say the pen is mightier than the sword. That's what they're talking about. Um, you know, so it, literally the first thing Tony Sirico ever said to me when he met me, he, and I swear to God, this is true. He met me. He said, you're the new writer. Huh? I said, yeah. He grabbed me by the neck playfully, but he had those big ham hands that you know, he could crush rocks with. And he got me on the neck and he said, let me tell you something. He goes, you ever write a script where I die? He goes, you better put a phony fucking name on the cover because first I die and then you die. Oh, my God. <laughs> And then he, went, <laughs> he laughed and I'm like, oh, it's funny. And I'm thinking like, I don't know if he's kidding. I, I think he might not be. So, you know, one of the things traditionally, and every one of the actors on the show say this, whenever they get the script, the first thing they would do is turn to the end to see if they were still alive. And they go, oh, I made it another week. So, you know, Sirico is no, uh, no different, even though he was, you know, he had that threat uh, against everybody. So we used to write, and we, oh, he was always looking. He always wanted to know what do you know? What do you hear about the next episode? You know, who, who's going to die? Who's going to get it? And always, really, what he was saying: Am I going to die? Is really what that was about. So, we used to occasionally write scenes where somebody would end up killing, you know, Pauling Walnuts, and then just inadvertently leave the script pages where we knew he was sitting because he was so nosy and he would always go and he fight and we'd hear him like flipping out and screaming and he fell for that about two or three times. It was, it was great. Did you and, ever uh, bring up to David about killing someone? Did you ever say like, Hey, what about this guy or. Probably. Although I can't, you know, off the top of my head, I can't remember who, but I'm sure. Well, I mean, I know we had a big debate, uh, you know, at the end of season four and, you know, we did this, you know, this happened to us a couple of times, you know, where we wrote ourselves into a corner with a character. Richie April was a great example in season mm-hmm. two. Richie April was so such a badass and so crazy that if Tony didn't kill him, Tony was an idiot yeah. because this guy is going to kill him. And and we just got it to the point where there was so much tension between these two guys. So, you know, we ultimately decided, well, this, this really sucks because David Provel is so great. But we've got to, you know, this guy's got to go. So the, the concession was, okay, well, 
let's have him die in a different way. Let's have somebody else kill him. And, and that was worked out great. Janice killed yeah. him. Tony would have killed him. He didn't get a chance. His sister did it. Same thing with, uh, you know, and season four with Steve Buscemi's character. You know, it got to the point where, you know, he goes on the lamb uh, after Kevin killed uh, Phil Leotardo's brother. And Phil Leotardo wants revenge. And now Buscemi's gone, Tony B, and he's not there to give him that revenge. So basically, Phil Leotardo is going to pick out somebody else that's close to Tony and kill him. He's going to kill Christopher. So Cantown is either Christopher or Tony's going to have to deliver Tony B's head on a platter. And it was a long debate. Is there any way we could save Steve Buscemi's life? And I, I remember having a big argument in the writer's room with, with Robin and Mitch who were like voting for, you know, oh, just they'll forget about him. I said, they're not going to forget about him. They're going to fucking kill somebody else. And uh, we ended up getting our consultants on the phone. It's like, how would this go down? And they're like, yeah, he's, he's going to go or somebody else is going to go. And then it was, it was Steve. You know, not that we wanted to kill him, sure. but in, in the reality of this world, if he didn't die, it would start to feel like bullshit. And, you know, that was, that was that. Well, thank you so much for doing this. It was really great to Absolutely hear you. Absolutely my yeah. pleasure. So, so great to so talk much to you. Fun. Always great, great seeing you guys and talking to you guys. Hopefully when this insanity ends, we can, uh, we'll do this in person somewhere. That would be um, nice. I love it. Yeah, it'll be great. We always so. look forward to every, everything that you ever have coming up. I always like anytime I think about Sopranos, I just like I'm always like, I can't believe I worked with these people. Like, look what they do now. Like, look what they you know, it just it's it's always a reminder of the greatness. We were always around and, you know, forever. Uh, uh, I I say this all the time. It will be no matter what else I ever do in my career. It will always be compared to that time. Mm. It was just magic on every level and uh, it'll never be as good. It'll be close and fun and, and hopefully the work is good but that was man that that will never happen again yeah it's so. magic in a bottle it's always great to hear people like you and michael imperioli and other people say that stuff because i started when i was 12 so i'm like yeah this is the best thing fucking ever yeah. you know so like i know i'm gonna feel that way it was yeah i had done other stuff before that but it was really like the, like what else, yeah. like I'm gonna say like I'm gonna say an AT and T commercial compared to that was you know when I was right. 11, but like to hear yeah. you guys say it, it just makes me feel like warm inside to know like yeah this means the same thing oh, to everyone. Yeah, it was it was magic time and it was like it was not it, you know there I've had jobs and I've had that you know some things yeah. are work and 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 that was not that was man just just uh what a pleasure going to that place every day mm-hmm. really really wonderful so and it sounds cliche but we are you know it's like a family anything you ever need we're here call oh, yeah. us email well, whatever you need here guys really great seeing you all great meeting you nice and meeting you. Uh, enjoy the snow i will yeah, be gonna, careful uh, get out there and yeah i'll be in a cast by sunday morning probably <laughs> it's okay it's all right got it you gotta have an excuse to not get off the couch exactly all right guys thanks so again great. bye terry bye all right guys that was great that was great oh, i, I, I coolest. love i love old school writers you know guys that have like a lot of experience and can bring it i mean you can just tell by the way he uh t- you know tells the stories yeah but he's just... also like an anomaly like he's also like he's a writer and he's like intelligent and and but and can write like so rich and quirky but he's also like a very normal and cool guy you know like there's specific writers that are fucking brilliant but are like 
awkward in like socially. You they know, couldn't like, write about the streets of Brooklyn. Right. Yeah, like yeah. he's he he's just like you would meet him and be like, this is such a great guy, great storyteller. And like, you know, he's unassuming. He's very yeah. he's just he's I tell you awesome. that Bridgerton show would really do get a lot from having him on that show. We need we need a ter- we need a Terry sort of vibe on Bridgerton. Tony Sirico just show up. Yeah, bat, you know what? Bat, bat, bat. The other thing was too, as as like I started acting when I was six, and I did Sopranos when I was twelve, and in those six years, you see so many scripts of like adults trying to write for kids, mm. and you're like, this is so fucking bad. It's yeah, like you're every, right. You're like, this is not what no one my age would ever they say were this so dude. Good at writing and they us. were per- like unfucking real. Yep. Yep. Well, that was great. It was really great to hear him. And um, yeah, that's going to be our episode. Yep. And you know what Jamie says? If you don't like and subscribe, she's going to take her whole family, herself, and move across the country. And Just say, to the middle. And say Not fuck, all the way. And yeah. say fuck I feel like you guys. She's doing that anyways. That's so sad. But hey, if you guys uh, want to subscribe, we have a whole back catalog. Plenty of Jamie to watch. Uh, 70 <laughs> episodes worth on our uh, YouTube channel. Hit that subscribe button. Click the notification bell. That way you know when the uh, videos go up, which is every Tuesday morning. And we're on Instagram and Twitter, and we also have a subreddit, r slash pajama pants podcast. So with that, we'll see you on the next one. Later. Thanks, guys. Bye.